the, the Boga Hunting Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like that. Up. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing I've ever re- seen. It go- I am all about just it. strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Hello and welcome back to the Boga Hunting Podcast, everybody. This is a show for hunters of all skill levels looking for knowledge and experience. So follow along and let's strengthen your hunt. First light. First light camo. We uh, rock a lot of their gear a lot of the time. In fact, on a daily basis, I wear an article of First Light clothing. Great stuff. If you are a whitetail hunter, it's great stuff. If you hunt out west, we love it. Their wool is top of the line. Merino wool is the way to go. Firstlight.com. Another sponsor of this podcast is HuntWise. It's an app that's basically your one-stop shop when you want to do anything with hunting on your phone. It's got social media. It's got mapping software. It has a place to buy gear. It's, it's awesome. If you want to learn more, go to HuntWise.com. Handcrafted in a small northern Michigan town, Bivouac Bow Company is Michigan's premier traditional archery manufacturer. Their machines and sanders are all purpose-built, and they only use the highest quality materials available. To meet the bowyers in their truly one-of-a-kind bows, visit bivouacbowco.com. If you haven't heard yet, there's a lot of buzz around saddle hunting these days, and if you're anything like us, you want to use the best gear available. If you're thinking of trying your hand at saddle hunting this year, don't settle for some knockoff brand. Use the saddle company that has been doing it since 1961. Visit trophyline.com to find out more. One of the reasons we've been so successful hunting in the backcountry is because we've had quality products to work with, and we've decided to partner with Seek Outside for a couple of reasons. All their products are really made to improve the backcountry experience, whether that's backpacks, tents, stoves, or other backcountry gear. These guys really know how to make a quality product. So if you want to learn more, head over to SeekOutside.com. Last but not least, Stierka. Optics. Sturka Optics. Do you say Stirka? I say Stirka. Great binoculars, great rifle scopes. Yeah. I'm actually going to be rocking one on my uh, AR build that I have. A little red dot action. Mm-hmm. Great warranty made in the U.S. Uh, check them out. Sturkastrong.com. All right. Welcome to a new month and a new series of podcast topics. Um, this month... Uh, the month of June, we're going to be covering all things archery practice, um, training, and, and things like that. So we thought the best way to start off would be to start with uh, a friend of ours, Christian. Christian, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody listening. My name is Christian Williams. I'm the owner of Archery Strong. Uh, our goal is to prevent shoulder injury, relieve shoulder pain, and improve performance in archery through a sports injury and sports performance uh, approach as far as looking at the human body behind the bow. And uh, yeah, I love, I love diving into anything that's uh, shooting, hunting, archery related. Uh, that's why I started it. And that's why I always get excited for these types of conversations. It's totally good. Yeah. We've, we've been following you for a, a long time and, you know, I, I watch your videos and you got some awesome pictures, videos and explanations. So, you know, if anybody's, just looking for ongoing good information. Check them out for sure. Yeah, thank you. 
All right, give me a little bit about your background. You know, how'd you get started bow hunting? How'd you get started in physical training? Uh, you know, what's your what's your background? Sure, sure. Um, hunting, I was blessed to grow up with a dad who uh, grew up with his dad who hunted and, and enjoyed the outdoors. Um, so I've been hunting ever since I was a little kid, but it wasn't until, and I, I had a bow as a kid and I would shoot and, uh, and would enjoy it, but it wasn't until towards the end of high school, I had decided to, uh, I guess, stop, uh, competing in some different weightlifting and CrossFit competitions. And I was looking for something to, to take, you know, my, my drive to, to, or, you know, it's, it's nice at least for me i always love having something to be, be passionate about so it wasn't until then that i really got serious about bow hunting and serious about archery uh, and ever since then just once i figured out you know how challenging it is how much there is to learn and know that's when i really took off with it but i guess uh, going back a couple of years before that kind of backtracking from there i developed a, a, a love for fitness and training and in the human body when I was in middle school, uh, it, it really truly ended up being kind of my escape uh, from life. When I was 13 or 14, my parents went through a divorce and um, my dad had bought me a pair of dumbbells to start working out uh, for football. And man, I just started to love it. And I, I escaped through weightlifting and I escaped through fitness. And that continued on through high school. Um, and being like, I would assume most high schoolers, you know, when you're 17, 18, you have no idea what you want to do for the rest of your yep. life. And my mom was on my face, you know, what are you going to go to college for? What do you want to do? And I finally just said, you know what? I like to work out. So I'll do, I'll do exercise physiology. Right. Looking back, that was a terrible way to determine what I wanted to do. <laughs> but thankfully it's been working out. Okay. Um, so I went to, went to school here in Pennsylvania for a degree in exercise science through the competing in CrossFit and Olympic style, which I was talking about a minute ago, yeah. I was doing a competition and I met a, a man by the name of Dr. Justin Scott, local to North Pittsburgh. And that was my freshman year of college. And he had a sports injury practice, sports injury and sports performance. And we got mm -hmm. to talking. One thing led to another. Uh, he wanted to bring me on as a movement and corrective exercise specialist. So I worked at this sports injury office and sports performance office for about five years. And my title there again was movement specialist and corrective exercise specialist. Basically it was my job to assess movements and I guess, uh, body dysfunctions as far as range of motion, yeah. strength, instability, those sorts of things be able to assess those things through some different movement assessment. And then based on the assessment results, then prescribe specific targeted corrective exercises to address the dysfunctions that were found. And that ranged everything from the knee, the hip to the lower back, mid back, yeah. shoulders, uh, et cetera. So that's, that's where I really got the foundation that has helped me today and allowed me to, to do what I do with archery strong, um, or at least use my approach um, so now I do the same type of assessments as far as shoulders go, um, the same type of approach with corrective exercise to address pain, to address, address instability, tightness, those sorts of things, and then span further into the, the performance realm as far as um, drop crank, handling load, handling repetitive load, those types of things. So, um, 
Yeah, so here I am today. I, I guess the start of Archery Strong is a tie of all of that, in which it was a, hand, a couple years ago, one thing I really love to do with a bow here in Pennsylvania is bow hunt groundhogs. I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, good, good. I never know if it's like, man, we don't want to hear about this, or if it's like, hey, tell us more type of thing. We have not ever talked spot and stock groundhog hunting nope. on this podcast, so this is exciting. I, well, you'll have to cut me off when you want, because I could talk all day about it. <laughs> um, I, I I love it. Um, you know, as, as bow hunters, I think I speak for most of us in saying that we're always looking for an opportunity to hunt or to shoot, and that's how it started out. Um, when I first really seriously got into bow hunting, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my dad and he said, or I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, I, I really want to start hunting. I've been shooting my bow for a while. I, I feel like I'm ready. I want to start hunting. And he says, well, bud, it's, it's June. There's, there's nothing you can really hunt. I mean, and he kind of smirked and he said, well, you could try hunting groundhogs with a bow. <laughs> and if anybody, knows, if anybody has hunted groundhogs, they're, as far as eyesight goes, they're they're almost comparable to turkeys, not quite. Um, their eyesight's phenomenal. They can smell. They're skittish. Uh, they can disappear down a hole. You know, it's right. not something to chase. So anyways, I started doing that, and it was rough at first, you know, a dozen hunts without any success. But I eventually started to get better and better and started to, to be able to, to kill more and more. In one summer uh, a couple years ago, there was a, an old farmer that's just down the road from me and he is, he's now 82 years old, two, two winters ago. So I guess a year and a half. Um, he had a quadruple bypass heart surgery. Mm. Uh, he's, he's still farming. He's still going at it. He is, he, in the area that I'm in, he owns, he owns so much valuable land uh, that for a long time, he was one of the most wealthy people in the entire area, this entire booming suburban area, simply because of the land he owns. However, he continually turns down millions because he just wants to keep farming. Um, right. Just an awesome guy. He's become a friend of mine. But anyways, I've been hunting on it or I've been hunting on his farms and I wanted to do something that would that would mean a lot to him. So I set a goal to be able to take 100 groundhogs with a bow off his farm. <laughs> and and with that goal, uh, I was I was practicing a lot. I was shooting a lot, and I was shooting so many arrows. I started to think, you know, hey, I wasn't having any sh any shoulder issues, but I started to think, how can I prevent any issues with right. practicing so much, shooting so much? So it, it was kind of a no-brainer. Hey, I do this every single day in the sports injury clinic where I take an individual, assess the shoulders, assess weak links, address those weak links. And if there aren't any weak links, we do preventative work. Yeah. So I started to play around with some, some methodical shoulder work, and uh, and that's how Archery Strong started. I thought, well, I know there's guys out there who have issues with their shoulders, and I know that there's a lot of guys who want to prevent issues with the shoulders. And mm -hmm. uh, just ran with it from there. So that's the story of Archery Strong, the story of the background behind it, and everything that kind of fell in between. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I don't know what age this happens, but at least for me, suddenly I got to some age, and I'm like, I started thinking about just hurting myself. 
you know, like, oh, my shoulder, I don't want a shoulder to go out, then I can't shoot my bow, or I can't have knees go out, because then I can't walk out to my tree stand, and suddenly, like, I'm doing more yoga and, you know, like, functional movements, and less things like, you know, just your, your typical squat bench, you know. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, so, so what's your, you know, when you're, and we don't have to take too much time, but I do want to know when you're when you're going out hunting uh, groundhog. What, what's your strategy? Are you 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 uh, you you're glassing them up and then moving in? Or what, what's your what's your strategy for for hunting them? My main strategy is to learn the farm, learn where the active holes are, and then identify the best routes to which you can walk for as long as or walk along that route and be and not be within sights until as close as possible to the hole right you know so there's always a best there's always a best way to approach a hole um whether that's keeping a tree between you whether that's keeping uh, a little rolling hill uh, yep. between you or whatever it might be however you're not just hunting one hole or at least I'm not when I, I'm not hunting one hole when I'm groundhog hunting, I'm hunting on farms that have a very high density of groundhogs. Like I told you um, just a second ago, the one farm that I, I wanted to kill a hundred off that summer, which I did with my bow um, that I was only hunting maybe 300 acres, um, which is a lot of, which is a lot of land, but I mean, a hundred groundhogs off 300 acres. I mean, that's, you get the there's a lot of groundhogs. Yeah, there. that's a lot. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. So, um, so when I'm thinking, okay, I know, I know there's, I know there's 30 active holes on on this side of the farm, and it's a 400 yard stretch. Yeah. What What's the best direction? Where's the best place to walk, etc. That I can walk along that route. Once I just pop in within eyesight of an active hole. I check it with my binos. I check around that that hole with my binos. Yeah. If that groundhog's out, obviously I'm going to make a plan to, to to move closer within bow range. If that groundhog's not not out, okay, I'm moving up a little bit right. to within the next visible uh, the visible hole because uh, groundhogs again are kind of like turkeys. If they if you can see them, they can see you. It's a, if I I routinely have groundhogs spook back down into their hole from 200 yards away. So. Um, so again, it's mostly knowing the farm, knowing where the active holes are, memorizing the active holes, and then picking the best way to uh, travel from there. On a farm that I don't, maybe I don't know where where the holes are, or I don't know where all of the holes are, then I'm glassing a lot. I'm I'm looking along likely places for there to be groundhogs, as far as wood lines, log piles, ridges in the fields. Um, sometimes you can see the hole itself out in a cut hay field. Yeah. Uh, you know, lone, lone trees or clumps of trees out in the field are great. Um, brushy banks, banks that have, have trees, you know, falling on them, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the main strategy. And uh, it leads to some, some really long shot attempts. Yeah. But, but you would be surprised how many really, really close shots that I get. Uh, so it's, it's fun. I, I, I always encourage people, if you're looking to practice, if you're looking – uh, for a way to just get out and to hunt, if you're looking away for a, to looking for a way to help a farmer, yeah. if you're looking for a way to gain permission for turkeys, deer, etc., 
Um, or if you're just looking for a way to get out and scout for deer, take your bow, be a little bit methodical about where you're walking. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a great, great way to hunt. And at least here in Pennsylvania, um, there are a lot of opportunities here. Um, I haven't done it in any other states, but I, I think this is a really good state for it. And it's, it's fun. Do you eat them? I'm sorry. Do you eat, do you eat them? I don't. Um, I don't. It's the only thing I, that I hunt that I don't eat. Um, I always say that I think if it were prepared correctly, I think it would be, I think it would be pretty good. You know, they, they are on the outside, they are kind of, kind of dinky and kind of gross animals. Um, some of them have mange, they don't smell good. Uh, but all they eat are greens, you know, clovers, grasses, different things like that. Um, so I don't eat them. I've, I always say I want to try them. My fiance is definitely against that. Uh, a quick Google brings up braised groundhog and herbal mustard reduction and a, a groundhog stew. 12 hours, you yep. throw that in with bacon. Although, you cook, in. You oh. cook anything with bacon. Yeah, I right. mean, yeah. you're not. Let's, let's be serious. Someone asked me if I eat, if, on Instagram, asked me if I ate them, and they suggested uh, to turn the hams or the hindquarters into pulled, pulled groundhog, like pulled oh, pork. Yeah. I, I thought that sounded like. I'd eat that. Yeah. I want to. No, no. You're getting. Are you using this to get permission to deer hunt on guys' land? Like, hey, I, I'm gonna kind of use this as your foot in the door. I have only used it to strictly to get my foot in the door uh, once, and <laughs> I'm laughing because it's a it's the farm farmer across the road. He's very stringent. He doesn't want anybody on his land. Want kind of kind of one of those people. Yeah. It first started. He let my mom ride her horse over there. So I said, okay. Cool. Uh, I met him a few times, so I knocked on his door and I asked, "Hey, would you mind if I hunt groundhogs? Because I really wanted to hunt deer." And he said, "He after mulling it over, he said, okay, yeah, that's fine." So I went and I killed one groundhog, and I went back and I knocked on his door and I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know, or I want to thank you for letting me hunt hunt groundhogs. I killed one groundhog, and he cut me off and he said, "You want to hunt deer, don't you?" <laughs> And I kind of stuttered and <laughs> said, yeah. Um. And, and he did. He, he did let me hunt here. But, no, norm, normally that was the only time. Normally I never I never ask for permission to groundhog hunt. Yeah. Um, just strictly hoping to get permission for deer. It normally turns out that groundhog hunt, I realized it's a great, great farm for deer hunting, and then I asked them. Right. And, uh, and normally, it's not a problem. Now that that may change because I'm, I'm most likely moving at the end of the summer, and uh, I may use it with it. Use the groundhog permission, uh, the deer hunting in mind more often. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but it, it is it's a great way. I mean, I I just strictly started with groundhogs on that the main the farm I've been telling you guys about and. Uh, and now I can do whatever whatever I want uh, on that farm. I've really become great friends with the, the guy who owns the farm, the 82-year-old friend of mine, and yeah. then the gentleman that's been helping them for 30 years. And, they, and they've and they gotten me permission on my main deer hunting farm. Uh, the, the gentleman who helps the 82-year-old farmer, um, this gentleman 
farm a couple of different places and uh and he got me permission of my my main hunting farm so yeah it's just awesome. and, and at the end of the day you know i always i always explain that a large portion of the motivation at least for groundhog hunting is to give back to the farmer right um because they're they're a real nuisance with equipment with livestock and with crops um and then i i offer to bale hay and i'll bale hay with them and just help them out uh as well so it's kind of a win-win yeah that's cool and it's fun you know this it is that you know and and here's my segue and it's really abrupt and it, it's not very good now you're sh- sh- shooting all these arrows at groundhogs what is your uh what is your off season like what does your daily routine look like you know you mentioned functional movement corrective ex- exercise background a lot of shoulder stuff obviously with uh with with the archery industry kind of i mean that's your your big muscle uh what are you doing on a daily basis what, what does your day look like just as far as complete life, or are we talking about related to archery and related to um, shooting? Well, I want to be like I want to be a badass like you. So daily <laughs> life, well, what's your what's your training regimen look like? I won't claim to be a badass, but um, I personally, um, just for me, the, my two my two biggest goals as far as when it comes to training and human body yep. is number one to be a, a strong, capable individual yeah and number two is to be the best archer i can right so training kind of looks training i guess i can kind of split it into two two parts i do pretty traditional strength and conditioning training to be well-rounded strong and functional mm-hmm. um meaning i love swinging a kettlebell i love doing strict pull-ups i love doing um, dumbbell and kettlebell work. I still like to work with a barbell, um, as far as some clean deadlift snatches, lunges, things like that. Um, a lot of body weight type work, but just pretty, pretty straight for a lot of carries. I re- I really like a lot of strongman type. Um, you guys can probably, you guys can see it. I know yep. the listeners, but I've got, yeah. I've got a stone right there a log with handles, another log with handles, an axle bar. Um, so I, I like the strongman type stuff, carry type stuff. But uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's not fancy. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> yesterday yesterday was 10 sets of 10 back rack lunges, just real straight up volume leg work. Yeah. Today was um, a workout with dumbbell cleans, uh, dumbbell deadlifts and dumbbell shoulder to overhead. And then after that, I did some shoulder work related to archery. Um, so big portion of it's general strength conditioning, be healthy, be strong. I live on a farm now. I'm moving to a small farm, uh, north of here. Um, you know, I gotta be able to pick up the full manure spreader and hook it up to the ATV. I gotta, um, you know, move hay bales and buckets of manure and right. Up like that. Which, if, which, if you've never thrown a full field's worth of hay bales, you don't you don't know the soreness. <laughs> I it's one of my favorite. My dad calls it God's gym. Uh, oh. One of my favorite favorite things to do as far as fitness goes. But yeah, so that type of stuff. And then um, as an accessory, um, you know, as as ancillary accessory work, I do a lot of work related to the shoulders, related to. Uh, mostly stability. I do some flexibility, mobility stuff, but I'm I'm pretty mobile uh, up top, thankfully. So it's just mostly a lot of good 
Um, good work to make sure that my shoulders can handle the volume of shooting that I do because I shoot a lot. Um, volume of shooting that I do to make sure rotator cuff is strong and stable and intact. Make sure I keep um, all of my other stability over head and, and deep ranges of motion. Um, draw strength. Do a lot of a lot of stuff looking at that. Bow arm stability to make sure that that cuff is really strong that that uh, musculature around the joint can handle the shooting. Um, so that stuff again is accessory. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing just pure archery stuff. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that, that would be very incomplete. Um, it's it's much more so accessory type work on top of the uh, pretty simple, straightforward strength and conditioning work. So you got your country strong mixed with a little bit of the, uh, you know, ancillary stuff. Now, can you do more push-ups than Cameron Haynes? Is that is that where you're at right now? No, absolutely not. That guy is uh, that guy's beast. However, I do think I could farmers carry or carry a stone farther than him. Uh, That's a man lift right there, just carrying a rock mm -hmm. around. Just grip yeah, and go, baby. Yeah, you know we all we all have uh, the things we're good at. I've never been a good bench presser. I've never been good at pull-ups or push-ups. I'm I'm pretty good at pull-ups uh, for whatever reason. I just, I love it. And I'm really good at carrying stuff. Um, that's just, <laughs> that's a good, uh, good thing The stone is, um, it's a 65 pound stone made from one of the, uh, I think it's, it's like high hybrid athletic stone molds, but it's 65 pounds real. It's round stone. It's awkward. One of my favorite things to do is, um, if I go out this door in my basement here, down past my barn, down along the pasture to the down to the creek bottom, and then back up the pasture to back in here, uh, it's roughly like a third of a mile. So some days I'll just do that. I'll just pick up that stone and just just go. That you know? sounds <laughs> terrible. Did you do this as a kid growing up? Like you just pick up rocks and uh, no, no? I, didn't. I no, I didn't. I think. I think the majority of it comes from my days in, in CrossFit, that there were so many different things mm. I had to, I had to be good at. There were so many different things I was trying to do for competition. Um, it, it, you know, you have to touch all your little boxes and there's 30 boxes that you got to touch on every single week. If you want to, you know, be, be high level. And uh, now it's just like, give me a freaking stone and I'll just yep. get there or I've got a pull up bar in the bar and I'll just go down and I'll just, hammer out reps until i'm like all right well i'm i'm, I'm good <laughs> yeah right simplistic i i just am simplistic now are you so you're you're a lot of your your work is focused on helping archers are you putting programs together based on you know their profile the things that they need help with and things like that you're running like a diagnostic test and then kind of building something from it yeah yeah primarily and preferably yes preferably is close communicate either Close communication with the archer, or even better, is a, a video assessment right now. So, like right now, we're on this um, FaceTime call. Yeah. FaceTime, Skype, Zoom. I'll spend I spend an hour with an archer, um, talking through what's going on, talking about their issues, talking uh, about backgrounds, past, present, and future. Yeah. Gathering as much information as I can, and then assess the shoulder. Assess it as far as movement patterns, stability, mobility, capacity of the shoulder, all those different things. And then based on what we find in that assessment, then I will put the program together. And everybody's a little bit different. I would say my clients are half and half. Yeah. Half of my clients right now are, are we'll say, pain clients that they're, mm -hmm. having, they're having pain or issues with their shoulder. 
shoulders. The other half of my clients are performance clients. They want to build jaw strength. They want to be more stable in their bow arm. They want uh, to kind of that same combination I do as far as strength work and archery work, kind of that performance side. So yeah, so we'll do the assess- I'll do the assessment and then write the program from there. Then I do have some pretty standard programs that are designed as we'll call it a, a tech most. You know, I, I, I'm always clear that uh, a generalized program is never going to uh, fit 100% of the population, but those standardized programs are meant for general goals as far as, hey, if someone wants to be more stable and wants to be generally stronger relating to archery up top, then there's there's some pretty tried and true scapular work and there's some yeah. pretty tried rotator cuff work. And there's some pretty tried and true movement patterns that if that archer does those, they're going to see a positive benefit in their shoulders. So um, there are the more generalized programs as well that, that I offer. Are you seeing guys? <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because some people, they just want to be given the tools and just go on their merry way. Right. It's not, not always the best way, um, but a lot of times it's, it, it's more than enough for what they need. And, and that's what they want. They're happy with it. They don't want to be, uh, go through the close-knit process of the assessment and, and stuff like that. So so that's the purpose of that. But go ahead. Yeah, are you seeing guys have under – like, how are their shoulder muscles generally? Are they, like, pretty underdeveloped? Are they pretty stable and, and good? Or, or, you know, what's the kind of the trend that you see with people that, that you're talking to? Um, the gen- You know, truthfully, the general trend is kind of your – I don't I don't know what the, the correct way to put it – Kind of just your standard person who doesn't doesn't do much physically or doesn't do much physically demanding that wants to pick up a, a seventy pound bow and shoot and shoot a lot and and be okay. Which there are those people out there. You know, there there are people that do just fine with that. But more often than not, the, the people who are coming to me that are having issues are they're definitely um, underdeveloped from a strength and, and muscular capacity standpoint. Um, they're unstable in a lot of ranges of motion and they have very poor scapular awareness and scapular development in the musculature around the scaps. Yeah. Uh, not, I don't see a lot of really tight people. Um, you know, everybody in this, in this realm, as far as, well, when it comes to bodily pain anywhere, you know, from my experience in the sports injury center and with clients now, anytime anybody thinks anybody, anytime anybody has a pain, they always think, you know, I'm tight somewhere. Um, and more, more often than not, it's, that's not the case. The tightness isn't, isn't really the issue if they do have tightness that is significant enough to consider, but I don't see a lot of real, real, like, Oh, wow. You know, you're, you're really tight type of type of deal. Uh, most of the time it's, it's just underdeveloped. It's the way I try to describe it um, to clients uh, is that, you know, your body has a certain amount of horsepower and, and, and the, the bow is, is the load that you're trying to tow or the load you're trying right. to pull. And, you know, you might be able to get away with shooting a dozen arrows here or there and not have an issue. But um, when you start looking at, you know, a decent poundage bow and you start accumulating a large arrow volume, if that horsepower isn't sufficient to handle that repetitive load and the key word there is repetitive, yeah. mm-hmm. then that's where a lot of times 
we're going to run into issues. And again, it's, it's not everybody, you know, so I never, I never want, want to make it sound like a scare tactic. It's not like if you're shooting a lot and you're not doing something to, to protect yourself, you're going to have issues. Cause that's not the case. You know, that just wouldn't be the truth, but it's all kind of like, it's, it's all, it's all a, a percentage, you know, there are going to be a certain percentage that run into issues and there are going to be a percentage that, that don't. So I would say the, the, to go back to your question, the big two trends is, Number one, just just underdeveloped and, and under underpowered, yeah. under horsepowered, so to speak. And then number two is just poor poor function overall um, of the shoulders, as far as being um, unstable, poor movement of the shoulder blades, poor awareness of the shoulder blades, uh, and, and shoulder joint itself uh, would be those would be the two big big categories. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that's kind of what I expected, but yeah, you know, so COVID. Everybody's at home. Are you, are you seeing? Uh, are you Are you having a lot of guys come to you? Uh, more guys, less guys. I mean, are, are people starting to think, "Well, I'm at home. I got to have some kind of program. I can't go to the gym now." Or, or what's that looking like for for you and your business? Yeah. Um. Very surprisingly, it's been it's been as busy as I can handle it. Um. The past two months during this whole COVID stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I would, you know, like anybody else who's, you know, trying to make a living, I was nervous and I was unsure of, of what it was going to look like. But a lot of people, whether it's having time at home or or if it's or if it's the timing of, you know, getting getting closer to hunting season and closer to, to outdoor 3D season, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's been really, really busy. A lot of clients I'm at at what I would say my full capacity is right now. So I and, you know, I at the end of the day, my goal is always just to help, just to help archers as much as I can. So I, I make it work, you know, I figure it out. I make it work for, for whoever needs help. And, and it's been, been good so far up to this point. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I, I would imagine. So when people are coming to you, I, I, I wouldn't think they have all, you know, a, a bench press squat rack, you know, the, weight tree or whatever say a guy i mean can you get this done with a few you know 20 30 pound weights um you know some resistant bands and your own body weight yeah 100 percent um 90 90 percent of the work that i'm doing with archers to relieve shoulder pain is done with resistance bands and dumbbells under 20 pounds i do i i it, to me, normally, a uh, very important part of the part of the process is kind of transitioning them into a little bit more strength work and capacity work at, after or as we're relieving that pain. Because we can relieve pain with dumbbells, dumbbells under 15 pounds, exercise bands, and body weights. But there's a part of the process that we need to build them back into being able to handle that bow and handling the repetitive load of that bow. So, so there is some strength work that I like to get into, but yeah, by and large, this is stuff that, uh, is very accessible. It's very easy to do at home. If you have some light weights and some resistance bands, it's, it's effective and it, and, and we get after it. The, yeah. the biggest things that I try to, or the, the big components that I try to make it is obviously effective, but accessible and affordable because it, it needs to be effective, right? It needs to work. It needs to be accessible because you can have the best training, the best best methods, the best assessment, exercises, system, whatever. 
But if it's something that somebody can't do with con the consistency they need to, then it doesn't matter. Right. And and then, like I said, my goal is to my goal is to help people. So I try to make it as as affordable as possible because I I never I never want somebody to say, ah, oh, you know, my shoulder hurts, and but I can't I can't do this because I just don't have the funds. Yeah, no, it's, I, not, it's you, not good. You're from Pennsylvania, and I just remember reading an article on Troy Palomalu, football player. He uh, would train for like 25 pound weights. That's it. Can you? I mean, with with limited weight access, can you become kind of a a bad dude, or do you? You know, like you said, do you eventually need to work your way up to some some more heavier weights? Are you just talking about fitness in general? Yeah, fitness in general. Give me, give me your base this question on a poundage you said what pounds and below are you thinking i think i read his was 25 and below or 30 and below yeah, you know what? i never i never read or i never looked real uh real far into his his training but i remember seeing some videos he did some really unique stuff but uh with 25 pounds now if you if you said yeah if you had 22 if you had two 25 pound kettlebells yeah, you you could become you could be insanely fit with just two twenty five pound kettlebells, um, for sure. You're not going to be your maximal strength isn't going to be that great, but you could get your muscular endurance would be through the roof. You could get your your conditioning, your cardio through the roof. You know, you'd have your core strength. You'd be you'd be ripped up like Rambo at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean if if you do if you do ten rounds, or, no, you know if you do fifteen rounds. Uh, 10, 10 shoulder presses with these kettlebells and 10 bent over rows with these kettlebells and you get 150 reps of each and you can do it. Let's say you do it on the minute. So if that takes you 15 minutes, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get pretty damn fit. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Depends on what your goal is. Yeah. Right. Now that that's interesting. Now are people coming to you ever and saying, Hey, I got this, um, you know, this mountain goat hunt or the sheep hunt that I, I need to train for, you know, help me get fit for that or are you mostly focusing on the archer you know working on just re you know building up shoulder strength no no i'm not i have in the past like i said i spent a lot of years in crossfit i'm still in the strength and conditioning world i still do weightlifting clinics um and some different strength and conditioning classes so i know how to get people very fit yeah. um for lack of a better way to put it and certainly could help somebody prepare methodically for something like that but uh, you know, two reasons I don't do that. Number one is because I want to stay pretty focused in, in what, what Archery Strong does. And Archery Strong serve, serves the archer as far as from a, a shoulder health and shoulder performance and, and body performance standpoint. So I want to keep that pretty focused. I, don't, I try not to water down what I offer, what I do. Yeah. And then, you know, second thing is that there's other people out there that are really focused on that. And I don't know. Me personally, I'm kind of, and I'm not, I'm not a mountain hunter. So right. yeah, I can really fit, but I've been on one elk hunt. So, you know, I, I think not that I would be stepping out of my, my, my boundaries because I, I could get someone plenty ready for that. But, you know, I'm kind of, I'm personally along the mindset where stay within your, stay within your lane. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you don't immerse yourself in something or you don't have the experience in something, I think that to keep the integrity of what you do and, and what you offer and to keep your integrity just within the people you're serving and the people you're around, I like to, I like to stay within my realm. I, I know that um, Dan Staten from Elk Shape, I've talked with him and done some podcasts with him. Yeah. 
you know, he, he does that. That's his, his realm. And I think that's great. You know, there's Mountain Tough Fitness is out there. I've never seen their programs, but, you know, I'm sure they do some good stuff. So, and, and, and I'm, I really, I really, really enjoy the, sh- the, sh- the shoulder stuff. You know, like I said, that's been my, my primary background. And that's been uh, where I've spent a lot of, a lot of hard earned time learning that stuff. And it's, it's unique. So that's what I focus on. Well, it's shoulder. Yeah. I mean, it starts with a shoulder for an archer and, and it's like a, a place of high injury rate. I would imagine yeah. just for the normal. I, I remember as a kid, my dad tore his rotator cuff. I think it's actually torn again right now. And I thought, I don't want to have that ever happen. That sounds bad, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, that's, that's was my biggest motivation for starting it. This is kind of circling back to the beginning, but I was, uh, I was on my favorite farm uh, right right over here in Mars, Pennsylvania. My favorite farm in the world. Beautiful October evening. I think I'd, I was hunting actually over a, a horse pasture that the deer pour into to eat the clover. No horses in it, so don't, <laughs> nobody should be worried there. But I think I saw like 30 deer that night and getting towards the end of the evening, uh, I had a group group of deer feeding in the pasture and they were moving towards me. And big doe at 34 yards made a really good shot. She crashed within 50 yards. And I was just so excited. I called my dad, you know, tell him, hey, hey, doe down, doe down. And uh, and I just remember thinking like, man, this, as far as for a bow hunter and just like being outside, just enjoying, enjoying creation, enjoying everything out there. I was like, I never want anybody to be limited from this. You know, I never, I never want any, anyone to have this, these types of experiences taken away, or maybe it's a tournament win, or maybe it's just shooting 3d with your family, whatever it is. Like archery is just so much more than just an accurate arrow. It's, it's, there's so many experiences and challenges and, and things that have come, come along with it. So that, that was my motivation is, is I love to shoot. I love archery. I don't plan on ever stopping. So I want to make sure that nobody else has to either. Oh, I'm looking behind you there and it looks like you have a trad bow. Yeah. Uh, how, how recently has, have you made that? How, how recent is that for you? That, that trad bow thing? Uh, about a month. And I got to tell you, I don't know if, if you guys have shot trad at all, but man, I love it. I love it. It's, it's tough. It's been an, it's been an interesting, been an interesting journey so far, but it's, I like it. The reason why I like it personally is because whenever I'm shooting my compounds, normally, if I'm not, if I'm not as accurate as I want to be, it's me, but there's a lot, there's so, there's so much there as far as the gear, you know, is my bow tuned? Is my, my, does my rest need moved? Is my sight off? Is all this stuff. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some guys love that stuff. I don't, I'm not a gear guy. I do whatever my bow shop tells me. I do whatever Tom Tom has told me for the recurve. I'm just not a gear guy. So I get annoyed with the compounds because I want to go out and shoot and just just pra- just practice on my shooting but it's like i know that my evo nxt my psc over there i know that 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 bow that rest needs moved and it needs tuned this this bow i don't think you can see that one i have my other psc hanging on my barbell there i know that that one needs felt on the rest and it's 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 uh rest was a little bit out of timing recently just stuff like that so i was like I started to think about it. I was like, man, you know, I really wanted to try that and really wanted to get into it. And yeah, and, and I love it. Um, I, I, I plan on most likely hunting a little bit with it this year. Yeah. 
like I said, it's tough. It's it's different, but uh, just something, another challenge. That's that's why I like archery, and that's why I like bow hunting so much. Is there's so much challenge, um, whether it's just archery shooting right out my door here, or whether it's up in a tree. There's just so much that's challenging about it, and that's what I love about it. So it's no, yeah, I, I like that. What I found, so I I'm on going into my third season with the with the recurve. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I'm basically an expert at this point. Uh, and what I found at the beginning was it's a, it's just different. Your mu- you, I don't know if you use your muscles differently, uh, but I had like a weird soreness for a while, and I think it was because yeah. there's no let off, so you're just kind of well, yeah. you know. Yeah, I yeah no exactly. You're in in general, your body is functioning similarly. What's very different is the load. And the way that your the way that that load is dispersed across the joint, bone, and muscle, like you said, the with the recurve, uh, more or less, there's a there's a linear trajectory of load right. from the start to back wall. Um, so the most demanding part of that shot is holding at that back wall. Where the comp with the compound, the majority of the load is in the front ninety percent of that draw cycle. And that right. completely draws off. So you have you have the compound where you are spending more or less spending the majority of your time at full draw with, depending on your draw weight and let off, you know, you're anywhere from I'm at seven pounds with these PSEs to, you know, maybe 15 for some people, whatever it might be. So you're spending majority of your time with in that that light light load at, at let off. Um, however, you're accumulating a lot of reps. And the demand uh, is, is in the draw. There's not really much demand. And, and most of the, the issues I see, at least in the draw shoulder, are not full draw related. They're draw related. Interesting. We've, we've, got a bunch of, we've got a bunch of different things happening at the shoulder to get to the string. And we're passing through a lot of, lot of really demanding positions with a whole lot of load as we draw. With the recurve, a little bit different, right? Linear trajectory of, of load depending on how long you hold it full draw uh, with your recurve, um, you're, you're still acute. You know, I mean, I guess there is, are people that snap shoot, but most people are back, back at that, that full draw for a little bit. Um, and you're holding a lot of load. So you're holding yeah. load, you're holding load differently. That muscle is holding and accepting load differently. You're producing um, force at different points in different shoulder positions. So yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, they're both relatively similar, but, the load uh, in the positions where you experience load is very different. So yeah, back to what you were saying real quick. I, I at least in my draw shoulder, you know, from uh, being being at full draw with a recurve, I felt some soreness there, you know, around my scap, a little bit yep. up the trap when I, when that bow shoulder or when the draw shoulder is getting too high at full draw. But my my bow shoulder has been rock solid, which I've been been really happy about. So is there one that's healthier for your shoulder one draw cycle that that is maybe easier yeah um and if this is this is my opinion this is anecdotal i don't i don't i don't think there's any research on this i'd love to see it if there, there was but i'm gonna say bar none it's the recurve told you jared um i'm gonna say bar none the recurve there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of the first reasons is I like the gradual, gradual introduction of load. Um, you know, if you look, if you look online on a draw cycle for a compound, it'll show you kind of like, kind of like a steep, uh, a steep slope at the beginning, a plateau, high plateau at the top, and a steep drop at the end. I don't think there's much. There's very little slope in the beginning. I mean, it's 
depending on what boat you shoot, but it's pretty immediate that you encounter that load on a compound like like right now. Um, yeah. So I like the gradual load of the, of of a recurve in that that concept. Um, the bigger the bigger point, uh, in my opinion, that that has an effect is that to draw a compound since we're encountering that load super quickly. I'm encountering that load, and I, people can't see me, so I'll try to explain best I can. I'm encountering that load in flexion, where I have to raise my arm up to, we'll say, somewhere between my top of my head height and chin height. So flexion, I've raised my arm up. I have to now go into uh, internal rotation, which is, um, if you're looking at your right arm in front of you, and your elbow's bent, and your fist is towards the ceiling, you are going to go counterclockwise from 12 to 9. So that's internal rotation. And then I have to go into adduction. Okay, so again, flexion. I raise my arm up. Internal rotation, I turn my arm in. Adduction, I reach across my body. So I'm now in this position. I'm reached across the body. Long story short, you've reached your string and you're about to draw. Yeah. That position, just in nature, just by nature in the shoulder, um, tends to be a vulnerable position based on the research it's not just me saying that that's based on the research because what we see is that there's a, there's numerous orthopedic tests that are done in internal rotation to assess issues um, related to impingement issues um, related to the rotator cuff the biceps tendon etc are done in internal rotation i mean it's hawkins kennedy empty cans and different ones there so that's number one, internal rotation. Adduction is also often a adduction, pulling your arm across the body is, is often um, used as a mild indicator of AC joint irritation. And then impingement-related or impingement-type issues are associated with overhead positions if the individual does not have popular, proper scapular and um, glenohumeral joint mechanics. Sorry, I don't mean to use big terms. I'm kind of just thinking um, back to the research. But but point being is that all each of those positions in and of itself are, are tolerable. But when you get all three of those positions and then big, big asterisk gold star here, when you have all three of those positions and then you associate load with those positions, that's where we get, that's where we get into to issue. So with the recurve, you're still in, more or less, you're still in those positions, but you're not encountering encountering as much load in those positions. You are not, when you're in those positions, so if I kind of do the same thing to get over to my string for the recurve, yes, I have mild load, but I have largely come out of some of those positions or I've minimized how much I'm in those positions by the time I encounter the greatest load. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah, I see. I now I with a recurve, you are going to encounter we'll say you're halfway through the draw with before you start to really get into some some significant load. You're now in less adduction, you're in less internal rotation. And then my final point, um, which is another really important part, is that with a recurve, in general, you're drawing much lower. So when you're drawing much lower you have now taken flexion, for the most part, you've taken flexion, which is raising your arm up, 
you've largely taken that out of the equation. And again, the, you look up any research on the rotator cuff or impingement related type issues, and most of them are looking at, at flexion and overhead athletes. So a recurve archer is not normally an overhead athlete. They normally draw kind of chin level, nose level, maybe throat level, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're not turning ourselves into overhead athletes. Now, um, with a compound, a lot of people like to draw really high, and that's fine. Um, it's, it's not wrong by any means, but what we have to remember is that you need the prerequisite flexion and you need the prerequisite internal rotation to essentially be an overhead athlete. If you're going to draw high where your forearm is up at forehead height or maybe even above your head or something in there, not all individuals are going to have the flexion, the internal rotation, and then the adduction in the presence of flexion and rotation to be able to handle and withstand that position. So with the recurve, we've taken out that flexion. We still have the internal rotation. We still have the adduction, but it's not as complex. We're not encountering the load. We can draw in a little, little bit with a, a, a little bit lower of an elbow, which again is is less vulnerable from a joint, tendon, ligament, and um, joint mechanic perspective. Gotcha. That is interesting. Yeah, because it's it just also feels just more consistent. Like the drop off. Yeah. Hump seemed always like that would be kind of something too. Yeah. Yeah. So then how do I, as a compound shooter, how can I pull back my bow to, I guess, not throw my shoulder? So, yeah. um, so it all, I always try to determine where my best place to start this conversation is. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important thing to understand is that we are going to see slight variations in the draw from each person. And the reason for that is that within the structure of the shoulder, the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, the joint, the makeup of the joint, everybody has small, small uh, variations in those structures. And that's, that's from the research. That's, that's, I think it's normal shoulder variance is the research article that I often refer to. There's, there's different, different, uh, there's irregularities. There are slight differences, maybe not irregularities, slight differences. Just like every bow is relatively similar, but every bow is slightly different in how the cables go on the bow, right? And maybe the shape of the cam, right? Differences in structure. So that's the first point. And then the second point is that everybody has a little bit of a different picture as far as shoulder mobility, flexibility, and um, stability. Mm -hmm. Like I said Earlier, there are some people who don't have enough internal rotation to be in certain positions. There are some people who don't have enough flexion to be in certain positions. So if we take the differences and account for those differences in shoulder structure and shoulder function, Mm -hmm. we need to understand that there is not a one-size-fits-all drop. You cannot take 10 different shoulders and force all 10 shoulders into the same drop. That's the most important thing to understand. Now, with that being said, we see some some slight variations, meaning that there is a general window in which most people should be in. For me, and in my opinion, and I again, I like to use the research to back this up, I like to see somebody draw somewhere between a flat arm. So if I'm drawing and my forearm is parallel to the ground, I like to see about flat or the forearm not being any higher than, uh, we'll say, your your hairline or 
What if you don't have hair? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't feel discriminated against. No, I don't. In general, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of being a very, very, very high draw. And I'm talking sure. like, I'm talking like to the point where um, your arms almost vertical, your arms like way over your head. And and I and again I I, I don't I'm not going to say it's wrong because there are a lot of people out there that shoot that way they've shot that way for a long time and they have no issues so I'm right. not going to say it's wrong but again if we look the vast majority of literature and research on shoulder issues or I shouldn't say vast majority but a lot of it is on overhead athletes so in my from my perspective there's two things number one if I know that over overhead activities repetitive overhead activities and we're talking we're talking volleyball baseball uh, are, are two big ones yeah if i know that that often is a problematic uh position for different individuals then i don't i don't feel i i want to put somebody in that extremely high draw position and then number two yeah. going back to the position the arm has to start on if i go back to that position that um we have to be in which is raising my arm reaching to the string reaching across my body all of those things are not the most kind to to the, the, the tissue of the shoulder sure. so um that's why i'm not i'm not a real fan of being super high i prefer to be somewhere in that middle ground which again maybe i would consider forehead height uh, being high uh nose height being in the middle and then chin, chin, throat level being lower. I see that as kind of the normal range and the range that most people are going to be within. Uh, an add-on, okay, we said so normal range, high range, then there's the low range. It is always so, so hated on, you know, when, when people draw low or whatnot. And from a joint health and joint integrity perspective, Drawing down around down around your collarbone or, or somewhere around there for the vast and I mean vast majority of people, there is nothing about that movement pattern that is threatening at all. Interesting. Um, I, I've seen a couple videos out there that people will say, Well, don't don't do that because it's bad for your shoulder. Well, that's a terribly superficial explanation without any sort of logical no backing I, yeah. yeah i can say that you know don't go outside on tuesday nights because it's bad for you well you know why um right there that position that movement pattern there's nothing about it that is that is vulnerable or, or damaging now i don't i don't necessarily think it's, it's the right thing to encourage um because it does mess with you know then you get people into sky drawing and we don't want that we get people into doing too much at full draw, et cetera. But um, by and large, by and large, you will see some people that are low and some of them have to be low because of prior shoulder injuries. That is the only way that they can draw is to be down collarbone, et cetera. Um, so again, I don't advocate that. Um, I don't, I don't think it's the right way to do it. In a perfect world, we want to see somebody between that acceptable normal range. And then I use, I use the big three. These big three, so your question earlier was, okay, then where should I draw? Number one, it should feel, it should feel comfortable. 
right? If it feels forced, if it's certainly, um, if it's painful, that's not where you should be. So it should be comfortable and it should be pain-free. That's the biggest thing. Number two is it should feel strong. If you feel really weak there, if you feel unstable, if you feel um, like you're having trouble there, probably not the right position for you. Then number three is it should be smooth. If it's really sticky, if you're having to force it, if it's real grindy, um, then it also may not be the best thing for you. And then again, ultimately, it should be pain-free. And then you can, you know, as a last add-on, you can get into, you know, have you been shooting that way for a while? Has it worked for you? Have you had any issues with it? Um, is your accuracy suffering because of it? If you're good on, if you're good on all those fronts, then you're in a pretty good place. That's a, that's a really long conversation. It's a conversation I never like to have without adequate, adequately explaining right. it because it's, it's a really serious deal. I, I just this week, I've had two clients come to me. Well, the one client yesterday, uh, he, he just started with me. He's having, he, he can't even draw his bow back because he watched, he watched some videos that told him or said, this is the right way to draw. So he started drawing that way and now he can't even draw his bow back. It's, it's just, it's a really important conversation. And I always try to have it from an open-minded um, research-based perspective, but I don't, I, I guess my, what I'm saying is I don't ever like having it without explaining the reasoning behind it because you can't just say, I can't just say, yeah, you got to be somewhere, somewhere you should be somewhere between you know, right. forehead and, and, and throat level. You know, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't justify. Now me personally, I draw, I, as far as my, well, I guess both are the same. Um, both, both are the same. I draw around, around chin, chin level, um, throat level for both. It's a nice, it's a nice flat linear position. And then I just, whether I'm, if I'm in my recurve, then I go up into my anchor. Um, I think I go pointer, pointer finger kind of along my cheekbone and then thumb anchor behind my draw. Yep. Kind of making that C as Tom Clum describes it. Yeah. Um, and then my compound, I, I put my, I put my pointer finger right on my jawline. So, yeah. So for me, I, I, and you know, again, I'll go back for me. It's strong. It's smooth. It's very comfortable. I will, sh I'll shoot, I'll shoot 200 arrows, hundred, my co 70 pound compound, a uh, hundred out of my recurve. And I'll do that five, six days a week. And I don't have any issues. So for me, um, it, it works, it works really well. Is it for everybody? No, no. Some people are going to be, need to be higher. Some people might be a lot higher. Some people would be, might be a little bit lower. Um, very complex picture. What do the joint mechanics look like? What does the shoulder blade look like? Is it comfortable, strong, pain-free, smooth, and consistent? Um, big conversation but hopefully that gives gives some insight yeah i mean that's super helpful and it's it's something that i've thought about and like you said you know there's a there's a lot of information on the internet telling you that you got to do it one way or another and then you know hopefully you don't end up like like your your client who's totally jacked himself where up you guys draw where do you draw i just am curious i like to like I, I, I basically like you were saying, right kind of chin, chin level. But I'm, I'm shooting a recurve. I'm kind of doing the same C that you're, yeah. you're talking about. So, yeah. What about you, Jared? You drawing real high, like those guys that over, like, like the, like one of those. I'll have to watch myself next time. You know what I mean? I saw you were trying to figure it out. You're like, wait a second. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? Left hand. What, what you're doing it all wrong. 
do me yeah do do me a favor whenever you whenever you pay attention to how you draw do not change it mm. do not change it because i do not want you the number one if if someone forgets <clears throat> if someone forgets um everything about the podcast but they remember this if you are not having issues then don't don't change something um that seems like it could potentially cause an issue right and if you do change something and i'm talking draw weight arrow volume cam uh new bow with different cam cycle draw style bow arm position mm-hmm. anything like that if you do, do change something do it gradually every single week um I'm, I'm working with people that that just make these drastic changes and they don't have time to adapt to it so jared when you mm-hmm. when you when you go and you pay attention don't don't try different draws just leave it be sitting here thinking about it i kind of do like a, a lower yeah i'll, I'll come across you like my change it dude you should change it that's wrong <laughs> I don't, now you're all up in my head now no, so, <laughs> so so i'll give i'll give you the unpopular opinion <clears throat> are you do you have any shoulder pain let me ask you that first before i say anything no okay if you don't have any issues there is very little there's almost nothing about that movement pattern and that that mechanic of the shoulder blade and shoulder joint that is vulnerable or or damaging so people don't people people hate me for it but this is just research based and and in working with archer after archer and seeing what works for people it's extremely rare I have anybody that has has issues when they draw really low. I think personally where the the stigma and the dislike comes from is a lot of times when people are drawing really low, um, they're they're sky drawing. Oh yeah. Right. And we know that that's not good. That's not that you know we don't want to do that. But you know people will say that's bad for your shoulder. Again, as far as from what I've seen in the research, what I've as far as I've seen anecdotally. In sports injury clinic with hundreds of clients uh, doing this with Archery Strong. Now, I I never I never recommend somebody do that necessarily because if I don't, it's normally not needed. But if somebody's already doing that and they're not having issues, again, I, I, I personally I think you're you're okay. Cool. You know, okay, you did it. You know, I did it. A plus. You do. I I now I'm thinking of I've seen you draw and you're kind of drawn down by your nips for sure. Yep. So I try to I try to push with my left hand though at the same time. <laughs> Keep your string right here. Yeah. It's all the puts all push. Oh. <laughs> no, you Jared. You know what? Of all people, you shouldn't be changing it up. You're on a Jared's on a hot streak right now. I'm on a hot streak, man. He's he's got a couple turkeys, a couple yeah. bucks down. I mean, you can't argue with the success that Jared's having. I want to. I want you to blow out your shoulder. So that I can catch like, back up. Because I'm because I need to catch back up, I'll man. Give him, I'll give him some bad advice. Yeah, that's all we need. Just Don't put that evil on me. Don't you put that evil on me. Well, hey, Christian, we're coming up on time. Uh I know we said at the beginning, but like say people wanna work with you to schedule like a, a training regimen, uh they have questions, how how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, uh one of three ways. Uh number one, you can email me. Um email is my email is Christian at archery-strong.com. Yep. That can be found on the website, which is archery-strong.com. That is a dash <laughs> line between archery and strong. Um, 
email me. You can send me a message through the website. Take a look at what I have on the website. Um, or just send me a, a, a message via Facebook or, or Instagram. I respond to, I respond to <laughs> all the messages except those weird bot messages oh. asking for sex. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at my pictures here. Yeah. Jerry hey, keeps uh, sending follow me. me. That's the weird thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love talking to people. And I always, I always uh, try to make it known. If, if somebody just wants to talk to me and pick my brain and – just mull something over, feel free. I'm not the type of person who's going to, you know, as soon as you ask me a question, I'm not going to say, hey, you know, we got to do a consult type of thing. Um, yeah. I'm happy to talk to you now. I'm not going to dive in and, you know, give people solutions or uh, possible, you know, fixes and stuff like that. But I'm happy to listen, guide you, let you know if there's a simple fix or, or what you're looking at doing there. Uh, I just love talking to people and hopefully helping. So, awesome. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay, well, thank you for joining us. I'm. We'll have to have you back on again. There's a lot of things I wanted to ask you that we'll have to get to. But yeah, like I said, thank you again, and we'll we'll hopefully talk to you really soon. Yeah, I'm happy to do it anytime. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along and what we're currently up to. Hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting.